Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. You may not have noticed this, but Matt tuned the drums for us, so they matched the key of our song. It really makes a big difference. Did you guys notice that? Yeah, it's kind of hard when the, when the drum is in a different key than the, than the choir, but that's kind of appropriate for my sermon today. I had an interesting morning. This is the first time I've done this solo, and there's a lot more going into it, but I had some help this morning. People noticed that I looked a little frantic and, and said, hey, can we help? So I, I appreciate it when people uh, just jump in there. This morning, I'm the third in our series, Be Just, Be Kind, Be Humble, and today we're talking about humble. When we were talking about this as a worship team, a lot of you all, and if you've taken the four questions or if we've just been talking, you've been talking about the sort of vitriolic language and and a string of violence that seems to be in our culture, and that afflicts you. It bothers you. It bothers me too. So we kind of decided to pursue this in a way that we could say, hey, how can we be more peaceful? We can be peacemakers be people that bring connection rather than bring division. So that's really what this is all about, and I hope that this sermon kind of wraps this up for you. I'm going to begin with our Micah verse, Micah 6 and 8. He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. And then I've selected Philippians 2, 1 through 10, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like a human being. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I would appreciate it very much if you would join me in a moment of prayer. Holy God, we invite your spirit into our worship this morning. Grant us a deeper knowledge of who you are and your desire to work in our lives. Speak through me this morning so that because of me or in spite of me, Your will will be made known to your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Paul here is writing to the church at Philippi from a prison cell. He and Timothy are in prison in Rome. And we can surmise that the church at Philippi is really special to Paul because it was one of the first outpost churches that Paul's missionary work had founded. And Later, if you read all of Philippians, the leadership in this church was some very strong women. And he admonishes everyone, help these women, pray for them. They've worked tirelessly with me in the ministry. 
So Paul gives this church a lot of love in his first part of his letter. And he says, thank you for being faithful and sharing the faith. And thank you for the gifts that you've sent me. This is not the first time this church has sent gifts to Paul. And he tells them that they bring him joy. And he knows that they hold he and Timothy in their hearts because they've sent this emissary from their church with gifts and with news to sustain the apostles in their confinement. And Paul is writing this letter to give to this emissary. Say, take this message back to this church. Let them know what I'm thinking. And what we glean from this opening is that the church at Philippi is being persecuted by the authorities. And they are being beset by preachers of false doctrines. And Paul really railed against that. There were some new Christians who wanted every Christian to follow the Jewish, to follow circumcision, to follow his Jewish laws. And it was the bane of Paul's existence. He rails against it. But that's what's happening to the church at Philippi. And he's offering them encouragement. Continue to persevere against all these things. But as we gradually read through the whole letter, we realize that even though this church is fruitful and they have the best intentions, there is some strife among the members. Because he continues to say, be of one mind. Love is Christ's love. And we don't know the source of this conflict from the letter, but there may have been theological debates and disagreements. There may have been some disagreements based in pride or station or whatnot. But there may also be a cultural misunderstanding or a lack of cultural understanding. The Greek culture valued excellence. They prized winners. Does that sound like a culture that we know? We're a little bit that way maybe. Maybe we value winners over humility. And they had this problem. And so we get this clue from the chapter 2 verse 3 when Paul writes, Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility. Think of others better than yourselves. Now, Paul literally has to make up a word. It, it gets translated as humility in every translation I've looked at. But he has to make up that word. He puts two Greek words together to make humility. And it usually gets translated as humility. It literally means lowly-minded. Now, the New Testament scholar Robert Wicks writes of this passage that Paul has here to coin a word for the idea of humility which had no purpose or place in Greek thought or language. So it could just be a cultural issue. The Greek culture assumed you would just assert yourself. And Paul is saying to the members, value one another. Build people up over yourselves. Enjoy the gifts that we're all bringing to this congregation. And then Paul admonishes them in verse 5. He says, adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. And then Paul breaks into song. Many scholars believe that beautiful passage from verse 6 through verse 10 is the lyrics of a hymn. We don't know that for sure, but it could have been a hymn. If you read it in most translations, it's set up like a poem. And Paul packs a lot of theology into those little five verses. He begins with Christ when Christ is part of the Godhead, the creator Christ, and then he traces it through Christ's incarnation, when Christ empties himself, becomes a slave, becoming human, offering himself obediently to death on the cross, which was a death reserved for the lowest class of criminals. And then through the resurrection, he does all that in five verses. And I believe this is really our lesson. We should strive to be Christ-like. Now, Christ wasn't, he was humble, but he wasn't a fainting flower. If he saw evil, he resisted evil. We know that. He 
threw over tables. If he sees evil, he calls it out. He, he got into big trouble when he faced the powerful people of his time. And he said, you're a generation of vipers. I preached on that a few weeks ago. And I don't know if you remember this, but the apostles come up to him and go, hey, uh, we need to go to another country for a while and lay it low because you really insulted those people. But Christ also makes clear while he is bold, he makes clear that he is here to be a servant. He is sent to heal and serve humankind. So what does this mean for us? I believe that the prophet Micah is inviting us into a praxis in our walk with God. Praxis might be described as thoughtful action or wise action. And it's a word that also comes to us from Greek. So if you're engaging in praxis, then you're going to act thoughtfully. And then you might even thoughtfully reflect on your actions. Have I done the right thing? You can contrast this with someone who is more interested in abstract thought. Sometimes this is called a rationalist position. So if you want to get the theology right or the idea right, you might join a monastery and uh, take a vow of silence and you'd read and study all day, but you cut yourself off from action. You cut yourself off from the unwashed masses and you just try to get the idea right. If you walk with God in praxis, you still pray, you still study, read scripture, but you do all of those things with an eye towards serving God in the best way possible. And we do that by serving and loving the people God has placed in our care. And that implies approaching our work with humility, meeting and honoring and valuing others who might disagree with you. And I think this part of the walk When we're walking humbly with God, it's important not to get too hung up on details of theology or spiritual concepts that aren't essential to the message of the gospel. Now, I'll give you an example. John Wesley believed that humans had free will, as opposed to a Calvinist view which humans are determined. God has determined the outcomes. And this was a huge argument in his day, you know, Fists were thrown over this. I mean, it was, a, it was really a big disagreement. But in his circle, John Wesley had a friend, George Whitfield, who was a Calvinist. And these two ministers disagreed over the nature of God, but they were humble enough to know they didn't know everything there was to know about the nature of the Almighty God. And, and uh, Wesley actually says that at one point. Well, I'm not so certain of my position. I have a position I'm willing to discuss, but I'm not so certain that I'm willing to cut off my friendship and love and work with George Whitfield because of this disagreement. Wesley winds up delivering the sermon at Whitfield's funeral service and he speaks lovingly of the faith and the ministry of his friend. They disagreed, discussed, prayed together, worshiped together. And I believe that's an important part of what it means to engage in praxis and walk humbly with God. Some scholars have called this a type of holy agnosticism. That is, We have a theology, but we're not so certain. We have enough doubt that we can talk with other people. We can agree to disagree sometimes. I read recently someone said, the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. If you certainly know something, then you can't really have faith in that thing. So that's an important thing, I think, in our walk together. I'm going to quote a saying I first heard at the Disciples of Christ Church, the Christian church. Now, You all know that I've had a pretty checkered past in terms of my religious faith. I've gone to a lot of churches. I've served a lot of churches. 
and I appreciate that. I always enjoyed going to a new church. If you're the music director, you're already a magician's assistant. You're already meeting with the pastor, and you're meeting with the committee, and you get to know the church quickly, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeing the different views, and as it happens, the disciples of Christ are a little more Calvinist than we Methodists are. I was having a conversation with the pastor when I was going there, and he said, well, we're Calvinism gone right. So... Uh, I, I took that as a, as a good thing. And I, but they had a saying that I loved, and I've always kept it near my heart. They write this on all their orders of worship and everything. And the saying is, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, diversity. In all things, love. And I think that's a really important thing for us to begin to keep in mind as we, as we open a wider tent, invite more people into our congregation. Paul says, he espouses this in a kind of radical way in Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 through 23, when he says, although I am free of all people, I make myself a slave to all people to recruit more of them. And then he goes through a whole litany. When I'm with Jews, I act like a Jew. When I'm with those who are under the law, I act like I'm under the law. When I'm with these people, when I'm with the weak, I act like I'm weak. When I'm with the... So he goes through this whole thing, and in the end he says... I have become all things to all people so I can save some by all possible means. All the things I do are for the sake of the gospel so I can be a partner in it. So if we take Christ as our example, we can see the servant heart of Christ in the washing of the disciples' feet as recounted in the Gospel of John. Christ got up from the table, took off his robes, picked up a linen towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a water basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he was wearing. In this passage, we see the king of glory, the incarnate God, acting as a servant to all. He's doing the job of a servant, of a slave. It's illustrating that act of humble service. A few years ago, I was at a, a conference, and I went to a talk by a Methodist pastor named Reverend Brian Combs. Uh, he's assigned by the Methodist church to work with the unhoused folks in Asheville, North Carolina. I appreciate that about the Methodist Church, that they would assign a full-time elder to work with the unhoused folks. And so in preparation for this ministry, Reverend Combs lived on the streets for a while. And he related to us how demeaning it was. He went to, a, not to a soup kitchen really, but a feeding place for folks who were unhoused. And he said there was, nothing, it was a bare room. There was a little shelf about waist high. He said, I didn't even see a human. Someone passed a tray through a slot. And I went to my area there in my little place. And he said, I looked at the bread and there was a little mold on it. He said, I wouldn't have fed that to a beloved pet. I wouldn't have fed it to my dog. And then he said, to add insult to injury, you had to eat your moldy sandwich fast because they rang a bell every 10 minutes and you had to leave and they brought another crew in. And he said, we can do better if we're telling people, you're children of God, we can do better than moldy bread. So Asheville, North Carolina is a very prosperous, rich place, not unlike Bentonville, and they have a great restaurant community. So he goes to the different restaurants and says, if it was a chef owner or the owner, and he said, hey, would you donate some food and maybe one night for your chef to come down and prepare a really good meal? We're going to set out tables and we're going to serve. We're going to give these people something better than a moldy sandwich and 10 minutes to eat it. We're going to really treat them like they're children of God. And then they have a service afterwards. And 
Uh, he said people would say to him, oh, can I come and help? And if it was someone in the community, he'd say, yes, you can come and help. But first, you've got to come down and spend some time eating and fellowshipping. Because you can't minister to people you don't know. You've got to know who these people are. So now, he said that at first, it was kind of hard to talk these uh, high-end chefs into coming down and doing it. But some of them did it, and it got rolling. And he said, now I have a, a long list, and people sort of vie over. We'll be there. Let us come. We want it. So he said, it's really, it's really taken off. And in their worship service, there are people who are homeless, and there are people who are lawyers and doctors and quite well-to-do. And he said, for a while, we're all children of God in this space. And I think that was really beautiful. When he's closing his statements, he said, People come up to me and they say, it must be really hard to minister to these folks year after year. And he said, I do this ministry because I keep running into God in the outskirts. I keep bumping into the Holy Spirit. And I said, beloved, this is the transformational paradox of the gospel. When we love and serve others, we become the ones in need. And those we serve become the image of Christ. The Perkins Professor of Practical Theology, Dr. Stevenson Mosher, puts it this way. Practical theology combines praxis with theological reflection so that when we serve others, we are transformed into the needy ones who are blessed in this act. And those we serve or honor become Christ in disguise. So this morning, beloved, I challenge us in the coming days to seek ways and places and situations where we can serve and honor others. And I pray the humility of Christ will be revealed in all of our actions. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at FUMC Bentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.